Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I was very excited to welcome Dr. Mike Canfield to the podcast today. He is a board-certified veterinary dermatologist, and he came on to talk to me today about the use of cone beam CT. I was so excited to have Dr. Canfield on the podcast today because I have seen him lecture about this topic, and cone beam CT is a much more um, reasonable unit to give wonderful images that you could potentially use in practice. So it gives you some 3D capabilities, it fits easier, and is more mobile than a traditional CT scan unit. So I was so excited to have Dr. Canfield on because not only is he a dermatologist who could talk to me about the use of CTing the head because we're often interested in the middle ear with the CT, but he actually does general practice work as well. So he walks me through where he utilizes comb beam CT um, in various areas of his practice. So it's a very interesting conversation. I learned so much and I just hope you guys learn as much as I did. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Zoran Technologies. Well, thanks everyone for joining me for another episode of the podcast. I am so excited to have Dr. Mike Canfield, a boarded dermatologist on the podcast with me and this is something that is, I don't have a lot of experience in, and I actually first saw you lecture about this at one of our dermatology meetings, uh, lovely Hawaii, as I wish we were there talking about this for this podcast episode. Um, and that is really the use of comb beam CT, which we're going to talk about what that is and kind of how it's been implemented into veterinary medicine. Um, but you, as you told me before we hopped on are really one of the founding veterinarians to bring this to our field. Um, so first off, I just want to start off by saying thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast with me. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess as a, a founding person for this, I, I'll say that there are other cone beam CT technologies and veterinary practices. Uh, this particular one that Zoran manufactures is the vet cat. Now the vet IQ and uh, as it comes, there will be an open bore uh, unit as well. Uh, I brought in the first vet cat in the country. And I, I guess the ploy for me was I felt as though having attended some human ear meetings and stuff like that, that there was a lot that we may be missing or at least not evaluating fully. And that was my goal. You know, you start things sometimes and and don't really know what's going to become of it. And you might waste a bunch of money. Uh, but it turned out that I'm pretty happy that we, uh, we spent the money and made the investment. Uh, something you actually may not know about me is besides being a dermatologist, I still have a general practice. So I still run both. Uh, so yesterday I saw primarily general practice cases and then I, oversee all the residents derm cases as they see their cases uh and then kind of move through that so yeah that's 
my world's a little bit different. So I still have a lot of other uses besides the, the normal dermatology use probably, but uh, we'll talk about that more. Yeah, that's actually really fascinating. Just, you know, because I definitely do not <laughs> see GP stuff. So it's really awesome that you still have that kind of knowledge and you probably can really relate to general practitioners in that standpoint. I was doing a lecture today for a clinic and it was funny because we were, they were getting ready for a surgery and I was talking about how I really enjoy like, you know, obviously I like procedures like videotoscopies. I like a lot of laser surgery. I told her I like doing like skin surgery, but I don't want to see a spleen. <laughs> but her narrator was like, I love seeing a spleen. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you don't yeah. want me to see a spleen. I don't know what I to think, do. Uh, with COVID, everybody I'm sure that uh, listens in can relate to this. We're all kind of overwhelmed and maybe a little bit overloaded, but three weeks ago, good derm client, uh, he comes in and he said, I think the medications are making the dog weak. And I'm like, why don't you come by and let me look at the dog? Come in as hemoabdomen. I, I call the veterinarian. The veterinarian's like, Mike, there's no way in hell. He said, I can't do it. He said, send them to the referral practice. Called the referral practice. They all told me they couldn't do it. So wow. so here we are. We're, we're going from your follow-up derm exam to now I'm like, okay, let's get the surgery warmed up. We did a splenectomy, set the dog up. So in my derm referral letter, it says, procedures performed today. Uh, evaluated for hemoabdomen, removed the spleen, scheduled follow-up appointment with the oncologist in two weeks. Oh, my. <laughs> I would die. I would die. Oh, yeah. my. I don't even know. I don't the, even know where to start. The resident says, so what are you doing? I said, a splenectomy on that derm patient? Yes. The veterinarian approved it. I'm gone. <laughs> so, oh, in the surgery. Listen, but, uh, more great. power to you. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. I wouldn't even know where to start. Well, I do know you have a ton of experience, um, you know, discussing this, especially for like otitis cases, which we're going to get in. Can you just take a second and start out talking about, so specifically we can talk about the vet cat mobile CT scan that you have, or just comb beam in general. Can you just explain a little bit? Cause I'm still learning so much about this the difference between like a comb beam CT scan and then what people think traditionally as a CT scan unit. Yeah. So, so certainly some things that I had to learn early because it was new for me and there wasn't a ton of information out there. What I ended up doing is I did rely a lot on, uh, David that's there at Zorin, David Sarment's a human periodontist, you know, wealth of information, but you know, I could adapt some of the stuff where he's talking about, okay, this is what it should look like in a human. So we're going at how certain bones look. And he came down and we scanned a bunch of animals here at the clinic. Um, but for me, probably the biggest thing to realize is the radiologists, when you talk to them and you say cone beam, they, they may not be as enthusiastic as you and I might be, but it's because they're oftentimes evaluating a lot of soft tissue things. And cone beam CT will give us exquisite detail in bone. In this particular unit, uh, I can go down to about 700 micron slice thickness. So if you and I want to do some things like, oh, let's trace out the acicular chain or, hey, let's try to find the, the, the auditory tube and its pathway and some of those things, it, it's feasible for us to do that. Whereas some of the traditional uh, 
CTs, because oftentimes these are human units that have been purposed for veterinary hospitals and referral institutions, right? So a huge space requirement, a lot of update and upkeep to go with that unit. But the slice thicknesses are typically not that small. So I had a unit that they were doing my CTs for me. And I only got about two good slices on the middle ear and it was done. And I'm like, well, that was not very helpful. But, you know, I could tell that, okay, maybe there's no bone tumor. Uh, But beyond that, it wasn't crazy valuable for me in practice. For this particular unit, I'm more familiar with the vet cat. The the other unit that they have, they have done the vet IQ, which has – all the software that mine has, but then it's been updated to where it has some uh, modalities that improve soft tissue uh, evaluation. And I, I might consider, I'm in the process of, do I go to the IQ, stay with what I have, or go with the VTRON, which is now their open bore since I still do general practice, because then I could essentially run the patient through the whole unit and do different body parts. Uh, currently, I'm limited to the the essentially the field of view that my unit will give, it was designed for heads and people. So, so it does a good job there. So I can do, if I want to do a full set of mouth or full ear or sinuses, I can accomplish that. But for me, my area is space conscious. So I need to be able to justify what that equipment costs me to be in place for the space that it occupies. Human CT unit, it occupies some space. That's the only thing that room is going to ever be used for. Uh, whereas this unit's not much bigger than my first ultrasound unit that I had. Wow. So, so I can wheel it up to the table, spin the head, roll it back, put it over in a corner, and I can still use that space for something else, whether it's my dedicated space for an ear or in my setting, it might be ear, then dental, or vice versa. I can stick an extremity in there um, if I was wanting detail on a distal extremity or something like that, um, which I've done, but it's most valuable for the head and it gives me a lot of pretty things there. But but primarily the the space conservation for the cost and then generally upkeep's been pretty low key. It's like having a computer running in essence uh so battery backup so if something happens because we get all our lovely thunderstorms here uh if the power goes down in the middle of a scan it'll continue to run that scan until it's complete wow so i don't i don't have to worry about that uh or if i need to unplug it move it to a different room i can just roll it into the next room plug it back in and scan a different patient uh because sometimes the resident may have a case going and i may have a different one going so so we can teeter-totter but, uh, that's really cool. It sounds like you're able to use it for quite a bit. And you, you mentioned, so you're one of the few, I know a couple, a few dermatologists who still do like some general practice work and have some more experience in that. So mentioning you use it a lot for head, but there are some other possibilities for this. Cause I am hearing of more general practices have things like comb beam CT units or different, um, advanced diagnostic imaging units. So what uses do you see with the cone beam, depending on which you mentioned a few different models, could be used in general practice, pretty much like anything that you'd see in a specialty practice? 
Yeah, so so certainly that the if I look particularly at the the unit like I have, the vet cat where it has a C-shaped gantry that spins around the head, anything that will fit in that C, I could spin. So I could put a forelimb extremity in, rear limb. Uh, I have done a beagle that was small enough that I wanted to see kind of lumbar region. And we actually identified an adrenal mass in that dog. It was an incidental finding, but it was uh, actually an active one. Because <laughs> wow. the dog had had two back surgeries. It was painful again. I slid it back and I just said, I got no idea what this is going to turn out like. And it actually worked out nice. Uh, I've actually taken big dogs and folded their forearm and put it in there and imaged the elbow. And I had some osteosarcomas and stuff like that that we were able to kind of we couldn't tell exactly where it was going, but we could recreate it on 3D and uh, get a pretty good image of that and help guide what we were going to do with it. Um, general practice wise, probably the biggest value I see, uh, certainly for the AHA practices and most standards now where we should be doing like dental radiographs and that kind of thing. You know, a full set on a big dog. If you get a really skilled technician, yeah, they, they can roll through those images uh with a number two sensor but but for some of us that aren't as great with that or new training people i can train somebody to do a ct way quicker than i can teach them to do individual images through a mouth so so probably there in lies a huge benefit because i can do a full set of dental x-rays in about a minute and a half wow so so i i see that as shortening my anesthesia time it gets these guys. And if I do a whole bunch, so if I'm doing near full mouth extractions, instead of having to do full mouth, number two sensor digital captures, I can do my post extractions in a minute and a half. I just scan the head again. And then the same thing for my pre-op, I just scan the head. The other thing in general practice setting, you know, nasal discharge cases, concerns for nasal foreign bodies, it's not going to, if you got a nose that's completely full of liquid, pus, mucus, it's, it's not going to tell you which one it is. But if you look in there and there's a bunch of bony destruction, deformation of the normal structures, or something that looks like a bone tumor, you got a lot of information in a minute and a half. Uh, I've gotten foreign bodies out of the nose. I've been doing a lot of rhinoscopy as the dermatologist because i already have the scopes because i do stuff in the ears and then some of our specialty people don't do a whole lot of rhinoscopy so a lot of the general practices if if they're not doing it they send those to me as well but that's completely something they could train to do in the general practice setting wow. uh, if they have the will right they gotta yeah. have the want to but uh, you know that the ear cases uh Probably those are my major ones. I mean, I think about for the vet cat, the vet IQ, the, the major uses for me, anything in the head, uh, distal extremities. When you get to the V-tron, it opens a whole different world, right? So so the footprint's not really that much bigger. This thing's a mobile open bore CT. So you'll have a, a C-arm type table you would use. And then it's designed to roll up and down the table. And then you wheel it out of the way again. Wow. So for you and you and I doing ears, we could roll it up to the table, do the ears, move the unit, 
clean the ears, process the ears, scan it again if we chose to, and then roll it out of the way. So that that part's kind of cool. Yeah, but, that's amazing. That's like way different than well, traditional ne- CT. Ne- next generation, right? Yeah, and and that's what they were. Uh, their goal was, and you know, it's it's still early, but it's coming. So I think that'll be cool. I don't know if if I did just derm and derm alone, I don't know if I would do the Vtron, which is the open bore unit. I think I might would, if I were starting fresh and all three of those options were there, I would probably look at getting the vet IQ because you can still scan it and get the same image that I get currently and the 3D, or you can also have the soft tissue enhancement, which is pretty damn nice. I mean, it's not perfect. It's not like a traditional CT, but it's not like older cone beam technology where you really don't get a lot of soft tissue. So I've been pretty happy with those images too. Well, there's two kind of things I want to ask you about from what you just mentioned. Um, First, you mentioned how fast it is. So you said like a minute and a half. So I guess one question I have when you're doing something, say like, you know, in our purposes as a dermatologist that does not also do GP, like you. Um, so if we're talking about, so mostly we're going to be looking at otitis media, the middle ear, evaluating for things like masses, fluid. Um, what my first question is, do you, if you're just scanning, say you're not, don't know if you're going to follow with a VO, do you need full anesthesia or can you do it under heavy sedation? My second follow-up question is, can you explain to me a little bit more? So you mentioned 3d imaging. So when I think of traditional CT, I think of the slices that you kind of mentioned transversely. I've seen some of the amazing 3d images that can happen, but how does that maybe change what you would do as far as say a videotoscopy case or Titus media or a mass? Because there is some debate, you know, depending on finances of the owner, not all dermatologists, if they're in a solo practice, like myself, like may not be in a practice with a huge CT. So there's two separate procedures. So how much is it truly changing what you're going to do in those cases as well? Yeah. So, so restate the first question again. Um, the, yes, that was a lot of questions. Um, the sedation anesthesia, can you, do you need full anesthesia to image? So two part answer. Okay. Normal structured dog, non-brachycephalic. You could probably get away with dexdomator, butorphanol, it, you know, chart dose on dexdomator, maybe 0.2 mg per kilo of butorphanol IV. Most dogs, you could get that scan done with that. The brachycephalics, if you, if it's safe for them to have maybe 0.1 of ketamine with it or something like that, you can usually still intubate those guys just long enough to scan them because movement is not your friend. And in theory, there, there are some, and I've tried multiple things, obviously, cause I'm in the same boat with the ears. Sometimes I'll do dexdomator butorphanol. And as long as they're not a breed that has stertorous airways where they're snoring, because if they're snoring, they're moving. Oh, and sure. it'll, it'll still be a kind of okay scan, but not pristine. And if you want it to be pretty, so, so normally if it's a normal length nose, I'll just put them on the table and I'll scan it and it'll be fine for a brachycephalic. Most times I'll intubate them, even if it's just briefly and then scan them and then pull the tube. Uh, once they're, you know, a little more awake, obviously, 
Uh, in theory, you could do it with propofol. I don't, I don't like the idea of that minute and a half because I, even though the radiation profile is really nice and I don't, I can stand behind the unit and be shielded. Uh, normally, what I'll do if I've got them on gas, I'll, I'll breathe for them. I'll make sure they're good plane. I'll disconnect it. Some people just leave them all connected, but I don't like the idea of potentially having the gantry hit the tube when I don't see it because then I have to rescan because I created movement. So a lot of times I just disconnect them, move it out of the way, scan them, come back in, hook it back up. Uh, for the brachycephalics I do, I intubate them most of the time. You know, every once in a while you get one of those breeds where they're not snoring when they're breathing. So that's what I assess it by. If they're not snoring and they're sitting on the table, I'll go sit them in there on the other table and scan it. Interesting. So, wow, you can, I mean, way different. than Yeah, I've had, I've had them with head trauma. And where they were all but comatose, but, you know, they're still moving. And they make the vacuum bags. Have you seen those for surgery where you plant the head, pull a vacuum on it, and it's styrofoam? Mm -hmm. Those are radiolucent. So, in theory, you could wrap it around the face a little bit and up on the muzzle, pull the vacuum on it, and it'll hold them still. Oh, interesting. So, so I've done that with a dog bite wound through a chihuahua skull. And you, oh can, see the, you can see the tooth mark in the brain. And the bone fragments from the skull down in the brain, dog recovered fully. Yeah, you're definitely um, not going exactly where I thought you were going to go with this podcast, <laughs> going into <laughs> brain trauma. Sorry. But I see you and I appreciate it. You're do you do a lot of stuff. That's that's amazing. Um, so then tell me a little bit about the 3D imaging. Yeah, so so the current version of the software. Essentially, it's a click away. You say, show me 3D, and it'll it'll render it with skin on and all the soft tissues in place. So it kind of looks like a true 3D picture of the dog. And I'll, I'll tell you where I use that. And then there's another button you click, and it says bone. And then you can modify it from there, and there's tags where you can essentially crop it and zoom in or out to different places in the sample. So sometimes for you and I, if there's a mass at a certain level that we want to know where it is precisely, or, uh, you know, sometimes nasopharyngeal polyps, I can see those coming out of the auditory tube and I can say, okay, it's on this side or that side. So I know where I have to go extract that from, uh, but it gives me landmarks. So if I put the skin on and I move the the lines of reference to where I want to be in the bone, I can then take the skin off and it gives me, okay, it's at the medial canthus or it's at the upper fourth premolar or it's caudal to the mandible. It, it helps me do landmarks. And then I can rotate that skull in three dimensions and say, okay, you know, I don't see any destructive lesions here or, you know, on the ears, you've got the big calcified cartilaginous canal. I can rotate that around and look around and move it. I can trim that section off to where I can see past it. So, so it just gives me some other options. It may not make all my therapeutic decisions, but it really lets me see the forest for the trees. And then I'll roll back into the non-3D when I want to get down to individual trees. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that just seems like something that I don't really... you 
can't really do with traditional CT, like, cause you're just getting that two plane, right? Or are there, yeah. do there, you... there may be some units that do that. I'm not familiar with certainly some okay. of the other veterinary uh, based cone beam CTs. They have different software that are rendering 3d, but I'm most familiar with this one, obviously, cause sure. it's what I have, but for the, for the general practitioners, certainly uh, it's really nice for me to, cause it's a lot of images to look at for dentistry but I can at least throw up the 3d first and I can, if I see obvious when I flip that skull around left, right, front, top, bottom, I can get a pretty good idea really damn quick how much dentition needs to go away. And I'll start marking the table off. And then as they're getting that patient's mouth cleaned up, I just tell them skip all the ones that have X's cause they're leaving. And then I'll go through and while I'm going through the rest of the CT, they're working on workflow. They're they're cleaning that mouth. And then I can go through and say, okay, the palatal root on the 108 is bad or the caudal root on the 309, whatever. So at least I know where else I need to go. And it's images that you never understood that maybe the palatal root on the maxillary 09s is no bone between that and the orbit. Wow. And you're like, oh, there's eyeball. Because <laughs> we had one that uh, they, they did, and we, we ended up doing the scan post-dental for them. And there was a whole pocket of gas around the eye because the eye was now uh, looking a little funny. And we're like, oh, God, they stabbed the eye. But they didn't. They actually took their syringe for the dental unit and blew out the socket where they had extracted the tooth, thinking that there would be bone dorsal to it but some of these chihuahuas and these little dogs that palatal roots nothing but soft tissue between that and the orbit and i'm going oh my god i did all these dentals for years because it's a different plane you can't tell that with the traditional dental x-rays and you're like holy christ <laughs> wow yeah. the, the mandibular teeth are that way too where the mandibular canal runs the artery and vein and nerve right they're running that mandibular canal but some of the teeth on the mandible, the roots might extend past that canal medially or laterally. Well, we were all taught to do what? Go lateral and take that bone and then extract the tooth. You go right into the mandibular canal. So wow. sometimes you could have gone medial and taken it out or lingual. Anyway, I know that's past uh, skin and ears. Like, I'm like, you're saying numbers and you're saying things about roots. I but think the general I kind practitioners of will know. That's good. No, this is wonderful. I actually, you know, this is all for them. And really to see the value of this advanced imaging. Um, and I have heard of a lot of dentists starting to more and more do comb beam. And yeah. I totally, it's amazing because the question kind of is, you know, we never think of CT or advanced imaging. There are certainly general practices who are starting to have it, but we never really think yeah. of that being as much of an option, but everything you're explaining though, I'm getting a little lost because I do not remember how to do the dental arcade anymore, but everything you're explaining I know is, is important. And I know is very prevalent in general practice. And so knowing, and you know, I get my own dental x-rays done and I have gone to the traditional they do make you do the bite wing and make you do everything individual. And I've gone to where I just stand there and they do my head in like a minute and we're done. Yep. So I can think about that and I can visualize it. Cause the question kind of comes down to though, this is more cost-effective than say maybe a traditional CT scan unit. 
how beneficial can it be in general practice? So actually you're the perfect person to talk about that. And it really sounds like you are utilizing this. I mean, are you using this every day in your clinic? Oh yeah. It's yeah. Amazing. It, it's, it's, uh, we, we stressed about it a little bit when we bought it, right? Cause it is a bigger ticket item. Certainly not as big as some things that some people get. Uh, but yeah, we, we pretty effectively paid for it. And honestly, in my, cause my general practice is housed or actually, I guess my dermatology practice is housed inside my general practice facility. So we run out of one building. So we share some equipment and stuff like that. But in reality, probably the general practice paid as much of that note off as the derm practice did because between dentistry and noses and stuff like that, it, it wasn't a problem, you know, as far as that goes. Uh, if I had a really small derm only practice, it's still doable, but, but you definitely have to leverage the fact that you have it. But I'll be honest, once you have it, you're sitting there going, I may have been doing some disservice for a lot of my career. Uh, I've been doing this a little bit longer than you. So, so <laughs> I can, I can say that. Um, but the other disadvantage, I guess, that comes with this technology is uh, as we embrace the technology, we realize there are a lot of things that we have been missing and we're not sure what to do with some of the information. If you see something that's abnormal in the middle ear in a normal patient, what do you do with that? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the big question I think of sometimes when the neurologist talk to me about are the cavaliers, like the piece on, yep. they're like, well, yep. we scan this and there's some fluid there, but they're not really bothered by it. And to be honest, some of those cases, dep depending on the case, severity, clinical signs, like sometimes I do say, well, if they're literally not showing signs. I don't do anything not, or I tell not, them to watch. They're more. not deaf, you know, right. they're not hearing impaired, at least not apparently. Um, I, I will be honest. There, there are a lot of scenarios that I've come across now that terrify me to look back at some of the stuff I've done over the last 20 years uh, because you and I, you know, here I brought, I had the first stores 4k unit too. But, but I will tell you, compared to the handheld otoscope, there, there's a huge difference between, you know, the handheld otoscope, standard definition, HD, 4K, there's higher than that coming down the pipeline now. We make a lot of judgments based on that, but you can have a myringitis where that eardrum's inflamed and the traditional methodologies that we teach residents is what? If that eardrum's opaque, you need to look behind it. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, that can be your only disease. And now you blow a hole in the eardrum and you just set up yourself for potential future cholesteatoma, uh, middle ear infection where there was none. You know, I, I do think about the good old days and maybe, maybe they weren't so good and maybe we got lucky a lot. Uh, but I've got cases now where, I've done the CT because it's a chronic ear or some that aren't chronic ears. And I've done CT. We do CT on not all, but we do it on a lot of the ear cases. Um, some that were just seemingly a 
fairly uncomplicated otitis and you're like, oh crap, that eardrum's all the way back almost to the medial aspect of the bulla wall. And we've seen somewhere that eardrums actually adhered to the bulla where it's been so retracted that it adhered to the bulla and you, you can't lift that. It's, it's staying there. So now this dog's always going to have this place where stuff's going to accumulate. So you have to set up that plan now of how often do we have to do this to clean that space out because the dog's uncomfortable when that space is full. So, wow. or, or you look and there's no bony bulla left and you were going to do a middle ear flush on that dog and there's no bone. It's open to the, you can see windows into the vestibular apparatus, but that dog's not neurologic or there's holes into the cranial vault and that dog's not neurologically deranged. What happens when we go in there and flush that space? And we didn't know that, you yeah. know, we took a patient that was potentially neurologically normal, or at least best to our best to my untrained. I'm not a neurologist, but to my eyes, and we had one from the neurologist. He's like, he's got middle ear disease. And, uh, the interpretation on the radiologist report says there's defects in the cranial vault associated with middle ear disease. And he's wanting me to flush that middle ear out. You said, no, thank you. I, I said, I don't think I'll be doing that. I said, I'll, <laughs> I'll sample it if you need me to sample it. But, uh, that that's been some of the more scary stuff where you, there's no normal structures left, but you could still see the eardrum, the tympanum still there. But deep to that, the bony structure is gone. And you're like, had I not known that, or I sent this dog, yeah, without any imaging, it's completely scary. Yeah. Now you're scaring me. On, and it is. It's, I mean, VO is wonderful. And I always offer to that, you know, if it, depending on the case, if they want to go like have imaging done, but when you don't have it all in one location yep. and it's another cost and it's another station or anesthesia, you know, a lot of people can't or don't go for it. And then you are doing your best with the image you have on the otoscopy unit, but you are flying blind a little bit because yep. you can't see everything with a VO either. Like you can't really go nope. into the full bulla. You can only see it from the outside looking in. Um, you do get sometimes stuck in that decision. Of, do, do I mirror God? Totally. <laughs> yeah. Or when you're like, should I mirror God? Shouldn't I? Like, I don't yeah. want to not knowing yeah. that there could be something there and then we're not going to help the dog. But yeah, you don't want to be willy nilly with poking eardrums either. That's right. Because so. that that in and of itself, we can we can create more harm than good there, too. And I know there's different thoughts on that, but uh, that can be a topic for another podcast. Yeah. And probably honestly, something I need to learn about, too, more because it is it is really difficult. And I have been stuck with some of those cases where I I kind of am doing one just because the owner really couldn't go for a, a separate scan and then you're kind of holding your breath yeah. when you do it, just hoping that that's the right thing to do. Yeah. It, it, it's a little unnerving and I, I'll tell you there's, if you probably, and this is not wise business sense, but for me, I still feel like I'm in some learning stages of my career and hopefully I'll keep myself that way. Uh, there's times where for my personal interest, I will scan that patient or whatever. If I've got them asleep and I'm going to clean it anyway, because I'm in that position you're in where it's just not in the budget and I'm looking in there and I'm like, 
ah, we might learn something from this one. No more than what it's going to cost me to scan that dog in time. It's a minute and a half. And I realize yeah. I used my equipment, but I'm also teaching my team and I'm learning myself. I'll scan some of those dogs or cats and I may not charge them. I mean, I can, we'll, we'll get into it, but there, there's some other things that you and I would not traditionally have scanned, such as maybe a young cat with a middle ear polyp. So tell me a little bit about that, you know, as we're kind of like, you've led into it. So kind of tell me about that. So traditionally we think of just like pull the polyp out. Yeah, we we've got, I'm, I'm trying to get a case series and, you know, Manir Qureshi and I may have enough here pretty soon, but we've been working with uh, a radiologist as well. Uh, you know, traditionally we've all been taught, most all the practitioners have been taught, oh uh, yeah, the middle ear pilot, put tractions on it, do that, you know, maybe put them on steroids for a couple of weeks and a high percentage of them don't recur. And that's certainly been published. But if you look back, how many of them have actually had detailed imaging done on these things and young cats i've got more than half of mine have severe bull osteitis i mean that that bull wall more than quarter inch three eighths of an inch thick sometimes sometimes even pushing into the airway wow and this is a cat that's less than a year and a half old and we normally would tell that client what oh yeah no problem but but the bull is just crazy angry and uh, the radiologist is like, how old is this cat? <laughs> so, so, you know, we've been doing, I think we got more than 10 or 12 now. And we were originally trying to get up to about 20 to kind of publish as a, a case series. But we'll see. We may go with a little bit lower number. But, uh, I mean, some of those bull images are just amazing. And I don't know that I'm doing that patient any good with uh, just getting the polyp out. The one cat had a nasopharyngeal polyp in each auditory tube, and it had a polyp in one ear. So that cat had three polyps all at once. Somebody oh, my had already, goodness. Yeah, somebody had already seen it, removed the polyp in the ear. It recurred, but they didn't even recognize the two in the nasopharynx, um, assuming that they were there at the time. Maybe they weren't. Uh, but, you know, we see that. We've got uh, quite a few dogs where fairly, other than a kind of chronic returnant otitis externa, no evidence of middle ear, no, you know, no pain with full extension or opening of the mouth. Uh, you can palpate the head and skull, no thing. And you get in there and most of the bull is gone. I mean, it's, it's supported by soft tissue. And you're like, so if you sent the surgeon, because you said, let's say it was an end-stage Cocker Spaniel external ear canal, because how many surgeons always do CT or advanced imaging? Not, oh. not that many, right? Because they're used to doing total ear canal ablations. Uh, I've got a 18-month-old Frenchie when we saw it had essentially end-stage external ear canals already. Oh, man. And Yeah, right. And, uh, I mean, the dog's super painful. The, the external ear canals were bone. They, they were already hard at 18 months. So I told them, I said, you know, I know that traditional medicine says we can rid ourselves of the problem by doing a total ear canal ablation. And, and the concern I have there is 
here again, I think that we're old school in it without advanced imaging. We're, we're assuming that they can do a good job, but how many of these do we get uh, post-surgical abscesses and drainage and stuff like that? And I don't believe it's always actually the surgeon had a fault. There are cases where I think they truly do. If you have an attic cholesteatoma, you know, in a dorsal middle ear space, we teach the surgeons, we teach the residents, we teach everybody stay the hell out of the attic. But that's where some of that foreign material can be. And now that's a nidus that we never messed with and we've left it in the attic and then we wall it off. And then we're dependent upon the auditory tube that may have been dysfunctional in the first place. Mm-hmm. So we get a lot of these brachycephalics with auditory tube dysfunction with ascending infections that get into the bulla where they've had a Tika. And, and that's the scenario with this young Frenchie. I mean, he's right at 24 months now and he's come in with two abscesses in the side of his head and they teeter on euthanasia. And it's because I don't, I don't think it's necessarily the surgeon's fault, but there's things where I don't think the Tika is going to be the, the end all be all. I say, we say it's a salvage procedure but we've got a bunch of them that if they go try to do a Tika, the structures that they use as landmarks no longer exist. So did we set the surgeon up? If we don't, I know it's somebody's responsibility. I'm not sure whose, but you know, at the end of the day. That's amazing. I've had, I had a recent, they did image it, but I had a recent Cocker Spaniel that of course that uh, fought Tika for a long time and needed to eventually have bilateral and they did image the dog luckily. And they, when the owner finally went for it after me really asking her to do it for over a year. um, And there was actually an abscess around the facial nerve from that being there so long. So luckily they had picked it up on scan. So they would know to really go for that, take it out. And we're still dealing with like a recurrent draining tract. So I totally hear what you're saying. They're just, some of these cases are not straightforward. And as we have more advanced imaging and advanced imaging that now people in like a general practice can do with units like this, it's really incredible how much we can change, you know, how we're doing things. Well, hopefully in the future will change. I think some things we're still doing the same because that's the way it's always been done. Yeah. But that's how we all get better is we learn new things and try to, well, implement new things. Yeah. Like you said, always in the learning stage. Like I don't really ever want to be out. Who knows like what cool things we'll have available to us in like 10 to 15 years. Um, It's going to be pretty cool. And the last question I want to ask you, because this has been really fascinating. I so appreciate you coming in and talking about this because I'm learning so much about, you know, um, the ability for us to do imaging in more places than just one really big referral hospital with with options like cone beam CT and um, the units like the vet cut that you've mentioned. Um, what I am also finding from my own experience of doing lots of videotoscopies and really educating clients. So client education is when they can see things like we'll email them pictures of the, the videotoscopy before and after, like really showing them not only, Hey, here's what you spent all this money on. Um, but like, I want you to truly understand, like, I want you to understand what we're dealing with. I want you to understand so that when we talk about a chronic, you know, otitis or 
whatever that we can really show them like here's what a normal ear looks like here's how your dog's ear looks are you utilizing so you talk about cool 3d images and all these amazing things you can do very fast yeah are you utilizing that for client education as well yeah for sure i right now we're, we're in a process of trying to create a dedicated space to where that's all we do in there is kind of ears uh, for different reasons. Right now I have the cone beam CT set up in my OR has a couple of different tables. So I usually use that setup back in there because I do some things with the CT while I'm in surgery as well. So it's, it's beneficial for me there. Um, so normally what I'll do is, as I review the images, I'll go ahead and there's a section where I can hit select. And what it'll do is it'll save that image over to the right. So when I have the owner, I don't have to go through the whole study again. I can just have selected ones that I think prove the point and the value to the client. Um, so I'll have those all pulled to the side. And then I'll go ahead and open the 3D section and I'll have it kind of queued up where I want it, where I can grab it and not have to be manipulating it a whole bunch with the owner. But I'll usually turn the skin on, let them see it's their dog, right? Because it looks like a really cool picture of their dog. Then I'll turn the skin off, and I'm like, have you ever seen your dog like this? You know, oh, wow. Like, That's cool. Right? Because then you got their skull, and you can you can flip it around. And they're like, oh, the dog's teeth look awful. I'm like, oh, no, we're looking at the ears today. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> like, but, but next time. <laughs> yeah, and I'll run, you know, this will be before I finish the, the client education part. So, so for those of us in the referral setting, what I have gone to doing, I always offer and encourage to send that CT out for radiology interpretation. I'm still going to do what I need to do today, unless I think it's cancer that's eating the dog's head away. Um, but one of the things that I'll do is when I get that report back, I can actually get that and the study to the veterinarian, the general practice. And then if they don't have stuff like this it gives them a really valuable assay of all the dentition so they can now schedule a dental and do the work they need to do and they've already got some advanced imaging that lets them know hey at least on this day these certain teeth were listed as they need to go or we found things that were abscessed that hadn't actually ruptured yet and we get them preemptively you know uh, but yeah the clients i bring them in and usually that's what I do is I'll throw on a flash drive. I'll get those selected images to where I don't have to worry about them calling me about 3000 images. Uh, so I give them a group of selected ones unless I need them to take the whole study to the veterinarian. And then I drop their video otoscopy images on there as well, or some little short videos. Uh, it makes a huge difference. You just bring them in and you scroll through some of those images and I, I usually turn the lights down like you would an x-ray. Right. And for me, I make them throw their hat and mask on cause I'm, I'm going into surgery. So, so they've got hat mask booties on and they're having to go through the clinic. Uh, so it's good that way, but, but it, it helps them, especially when you have unexpected things that you find in a young patient that may have a congenital cholesteatoma that you and I didn't even learn about when we were, training yeah uh, and they exist and there are buggers yeah and and the problem is right we might get a, a visual on them with our video otoscopy but the fact is what are you going to tell them to do now you know are you going to set that dog up 
for Tika that early or VBO? Or are you going to do a wait and see and, hey, I'm going to scan this dog every year. And before it becomes a bigger problem, then we have to decide when's that point to pull the trigger because there's potential complications once you pull the trigger and tell them to do something else. Uh, so, you know, some of these cats that have these wicked bullets or even sometimes the owner that's concerned because with Google everything now, you know, Dr. Google this and Dr. Google that, they come in. I know my dog's got a middle ear issue, right? If I can show them that image and say, this is what beautiful is. Right? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes we get normal. I've had people, mm -hmm. they just want the CT to prove to themselves that there's no middle ear involvement. And I'm like, you bet. Sure enough. Sure. Uh, but sometimes the other things we get on Durham that uh, actually is not our disease, but uh, sometimes is inferred to be our disease. If you get really bad TMJ disorders, right? If you open their mouth, it's just like a middle ear dog where you light them up. You know, you open their mouth and they scream. You got it down. To, okay. It's either middle ear pain or TMJ. Well, most of the dentists don't have advanced imaging either. I mean, it's moving that way, but have you ever tried to really nicely assess the TMJ? It's not super easy with traditional imaging. Whereas mm -hmm. with this, we can get 3d imaging of the TMJ and we can rotate it. We can compare it side to side, uh, and, and relate to those anatomical. I think it's great for teaching residents because when they don't understand anatomical landmarks or where things live, being able to strip all the meat and, skin off of that patient while it's still alive and rotate that image around and say, this is where the external acoustic meatus is. Look at the shape of this in this brachycephalic dog. It's a, it's a vertical slit. It's not a round orifice. Uh, all those things that we learn over time, but sometimes it's hard to appreciate landmarks and we can get that a whole lot better with this. Well, I just want one more and more the more I listen to you talk about it. Like not only not even just like train uh, clients and like our resident, but like myself, like you said, sometimes you get stuck in kind of this is what we do. Here's how we do it. This is what it looks like. But, you know, what do we really know deeper? And as people who love dermatology and are kind of derm, derm nerds about this stuff, um, seeing some of the images that I've seen you pull up like online and it's pretty amazing to really see like how deep you can visualize things and really learn. Um, like well, you said, then we start thinking about, well, what can we do next? Well, how can we really look at this? I yeah. mean, I've had probably over the last year, year and a half, I've had a group of different scopes made to where I can go look in some places around corners and stuff like that. But, you know, I've got, 30 degree, 70 degree scopes. I've got some that are like 120s where I can look back over the palate, uh, go through the middle ear space and look up and down. Whereas cool. with our zero degree scopes, we just can't do it. But yeah. uh, the CT is nice because you can you can almost preview, right? Where, where do I need to be looking? Where do I think there's a problem? Uh, something that I hope we'll be doing with it later and that they can do it already. And I could set it up, but I'm just not quite there yet. You could essentially, if you had a procedure that you want to do surgically for that ear or something else, jaw, whatever, uh, 3d print a model of that patient from that software, 3d print the model, 
and now you can kind of preview your surgery. Wow. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so all those things. And then we'll be able to do navigation based on those CT images at some point, whether it be general practice in a nose, specialty practice in a nose, uh, dentistry. I mean, you could formulate implants based on your scans, right? So on the human side, they'll scan them, design implants to overlay the, the surgery repair site, formulate print implants, and they're going to be custom made for that patient. Wow. Isn't that so, crazy? Yeah. Super cool. That is super cool. I, I just really appreciate you going over through this. I think this will be so helpful. I mean, hearing it from someone who still does general practice, just how much you've utilized this tool and in having the option to have advanced diagnostics, advanced imaging, you know, in a general practice um, is really just phenomenal. It sounds like you're just really utilizing it a lot. And you've taught me so much just about how the different things, granted, I am not trying to extract a tooth or do anything that, like that myself, but I have a dog and, you know, I want her to be able to have good imaging and she gets her annual dentals. And so just knowing that the progression that we're seeing in our, in our industry for really cool things like this comb beam CT technology is really amazing. And, um, I just really want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on and chat with me about this because it's been really an interesting conversation. Yeah, you bet. My pleasure. I've, uh, enjoyed it. It's fun stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I look forward to seeing some cool images. I'm going to make you uh, send me with some of these, uh, cool uh, 3d images yeah i want to see them but no seriously dr canfield thank you so much for being on the podcast i really enjoyed it thanks ashley have a great night you too Well, you can see why it's so much fun having Dr. Canfield on the podcast. He is a dermatologist at Animal Dermatology South in Florida, and it was just a really great conversation. He's a wealth of knowledge and obviously one of the ones that helped bring this technology into veterinary medicine. I just find it so fascinating as our industry evolves, as we progress, that we can have these really cool tools, that we could have advanced imaging diagnostics in general practice like that is an option that's going to be happening more and more and we just get to have better medicine and really take better care of our patients so i just have to thank dr canfield so much and zoran technology so much for um making this podcast episode happen if you enjoy learning really cool things like this check out future episode of the podcast because we're going to be diving more into the use of comb beam ct scans in your practice